0: We're doing our reading this morning just a little bit differently. We're sharing it together, Judy and I. And uh, as we go through, I'm sure you'll understand the reasons why. We're reading from, yes, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5 through to chapter 2, verse 4. To which of the angels did God ever say...
1: Like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end.
0: And to which of the angels has he ever said?
1: Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet.
0: Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will.
1: This is the word of the Lord.
2: My name is Chris Cullen and it's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here and I want to reflect on a time about 26, 28 years ago. Catherine and I were living in the southern highlands of New South Wales and we were youth group leaders at Bowral Baptist Church and I remember one Saturday we went down to um, Kangaroo Valley to a place called Bendila Recreation Area. It's about Ten minutes upstream from the township of Kangaroo Valley, and we uh, were there. And it's on the the sort of the shoreline of the river, the Kangaroo River. It was a really wonderful day. Um, It was it was sunny, but not too hot. But it was warm enough that you could enjoy the coolness of the river. And we were there in the river and. We set our sights to swim across to the other side of the river where there were some trees overhanging and one of them had a rope swing on it. So we we started swimming across and about halfway across the river I had a moment that was like a timeless moment um, where I... I looked up around and from that spot in the river you could see the cliff lines surrounding the valley and the sun was shining on the cliffs and it was just like uh, one of those moments where I I was blown away by the awesome majesty of God's creation Uh, and it recalled to mind the words of Psalm 19 where it says, um, you, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here but Uh, Because I've just forgotten it. It's funny, isn't it? But uh, the heavens declare the glories of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork. Because I'd stopped in the middle of the river for a few moments to think, the stream was taking me gradually downstream. But the flow of the river on that particular day wasn't very great and I was able quite easily to catch up with the others as we were swimming to the other side. Today, we're going to be talking about drifting. And the message is holding on to God's great gift. We're in a series in the book of Hebrews about God's great gift, and how do we hold on? Because the key verse of this particular passage is chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. It's easy to drift. How can we hold on? to God's great gift. How can we avoid drifting away from the gospel? And this is a really key question for us. It's easy, I think, sometimes on those good days, like that day that I had at Kangaroo Valley. And in church and in our Christian life, there can be really good days where it's, it's not hard to stay connected to where we're wanting to be. But it's not always like that, is it? And today I want for us to find in God's word some encouragement for how we can hold on to his good gift and make sure that we don't drift away. Let's pray together. Lord God, majesty on high, long ago at many times and in many ways you spoke to your people by the prophets and in these last days you have spoken to us by your son Jesus Christ whom you appointed heir of all things through whom you also created the world Jesus is the radiance of your glory, O God, the exact imprint of your nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus has made purification for our sins, and he sits at your right hand. Speak to us now, we pray, Lord God, by Jesus, your living word, as your spirit takes your written word and applies it to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray, whose name alone is as much superior to the name given to angels as he is superior to them. Amen. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. You know, on one of those days where you're floating in the river and the current is not too strong it's easy to stay connected but if we pause and get distracted by something as I was distracted by the beauty of that moment in the kangaroo river a pause for a little while and who knows where I might have ended up Sometimes we, we think that coming to church is enough to keep us connected, but the writer here wants to challenge that sense of comfort and ease that we might have, and to encourage us, to exhort us that we need to pay careful attention to what we've heard. And so if For each one of us, that means not just showing up at church and chatting about how muggy the day is and, you know, how is your week, but personally taking the time to read God's Word. And not just so that we can tick it off and say, well, I've read my Bible today, but to really pay attention to it. To ask God to give us insight as we read, that we might come to know and understand Jesus more and fall even more in love with him because of the great love that he has shown us. We can drift away because of carelessness. We find things so comfortable that we don't pay careful attention to what we've heard. But we must, or we're in danger of drifting away. Drift is such a a gentle word, isn't it? It lulls us into a false sense of security. As you're treading water in the middle of the river, looking at the gorgeous scenery and then 30 seconds later you find that you're well downstream. We can drift in our Christian lives as well through carelessness. And the solution to that is to pay much closer attention to what we've heard, to read our Bible, to pray, to really dig deep so that we can hold on and not drift. We have a precious gospel. Jesus made purification for our sins, we learnt last week. And he now sits at the right hand of the Father, our Saviour, What happens, though, if you're in that river, maybe you're in a little boat and you come to a spot that looks really idyllic and there seems to be a little dock there and you take a rope and you tie your rope around a post that's there at the dock Now I'm not much of a boating person, I don't know if this could happen or not, but just suppose for a moment that what you think is a post attached to the dock is actually a piece of driftwood that's just sort of stuck there for a moment. And in tying your boat around it and thinking that you're now safely moored to the wharf, what you're doing is actually attaching your boat to a moving reference point. You know, of all the points that we're going to be looking at in terms of drift today, I think the moving reference point is the one that in our culture today is perhaps the biggest um, temptation. I was sitting watching the television during the week and there was an ad that came on. Because I was watching um, a catch-up, the ads seemed to come on every time the ads came on. And I started thinking about it. It was an ad for a company called pilot.com.au, and it starts out with a guy sitting on a chair not dissimilar to this, and he says, honestly, I thought that my brother's problem with weight was because he was lazy. But then I did a ton of research, and I found out that the way we've been tackling weight in Australia has been completely wrong. Now, I'm a big guy, (laughs) and so I, I thought... Oh, this sounds interesting. I wonder what's going on here. And as I heard the ad multiple times, uh, uh, this phrase kept coming back to me. So I did a ton of research, and I thought, who is this guy? It said on the screen, his name is Benny Kleist, and he's the CEO of pilot.com.au or something like that. And so I thought, I'm going to look him up and find out who he is. I thought, you know, maybe he's a doctor. I looked him up and I found his LinkedIn profile and he's got a Bachelor of Commerce. He's a businessman and he's building an online business platform. What's all this research that he's done that makes him feel so confident that he can prescribe for people, men like me, who are overweight a solution to their weight problem. But this is really a big problem in our society today, that people want to be able to do their own research. We were talking about this in the Sermon in Scripture meeting this week as we looked at today's passage. And Stephen Cole, our youth pastor, youth, young adults, and everything else that he does, he, he said, these days it's, it's not about research, it's about me-search. Have you ever done that where you get on Dr. Google to try and find the problem to your medical issue and all of a sudden you think, oh no, I must have cancer, because it seems like everything that we Google brings us back to cancer. But there really is a a very strong sense in our culture today, and you can see it uh, in those who are rabidly anti-vaxxers, and if that's you, God love you, I love you, um, and it's that sense that I'm going to do my own research. And, you know, this is actually, it's, it's a commendable thought when we start thinking about the Christian life because actually it's really important for you to do your own work as it comes to the Christian life. It's really important. We've just talked about the, the problem of careless Christian living as opposed to being intentional and doing the work of reading the Bible and praying about it and seeking God to understand it. So it's a commendable sort of an attitude to say, I'm going to do my own research. But if our research leaves us with a moving reference point, we have a problem. If that Post that I thought I had tethered around with my boat is actually a floating log, then I will float downstream with it, always thinking I'm tied to the post, I'm safe. And today's passage is really about saying what's our reference point? Who are we looking to for information about salvation? Who do we listen to? And so we have this very um, confusing sort of passage, and thanks Alan and Judy for reading it the way you did. Um, There's seven different quotes from the Old Testament, although, and this gets complicated, but... I was looking at the Old Testament references and one of them didn't make sense to me and it wasn't until I read a commentary about it and said, well, actually, the writer to the Hebrews there is quoting the Greek translation of the Hebrew that was commonly used in those days, which is called the Septuagint. You confused yet? It's confusing. So the, the verse there which says... Uh, And again, this is verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And I looked for that in my Old Testament. I couldn't find it. But it's in the Greek translation of the Hebrew that was in use at the time of Jesus in the early church, which is called the Septuagint confusing. But here we have seven different passages quoted from the Old Testament, and it's sort of like uh, Jesus versus the angels, except that it's not working the same way that a debate works. You know, in a debate, you've got three speakers on each side, and one speaker from the affirmative side gets a go and spends whatever their allotted time is, five minutes, and then the speaker from the negative side gets five minutes to present their case. This is not an argument like that (laughs) because all seven of the references, with the exception of that middle one, um, in verse seven, all all the other six are really about magnifying Jesus. It's a one-sided debate. Here we have verse after verse after verse stacked on top of each other from the Old Testament where the writer is saying, look, Jesus is so much greater than the angels. Jesus is God. Jesus is the messianic king who was promised. Jesus is the one whom the angels serve. And so over and over and over again come these proof texts, if you want to put it like that, to let us know that Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, you couldn't script this, but um, so seven Old Testament quotes that magnify Jesus, Jesus is greater than the angels. And what we have here is an argument that's called Uh, from lesser to greater argument. So the idea is if the angels are worth listening to, how much more should we listen to Jesus? Now, the bit that you couldn't script is this. Bill, wherever Bill is, spoke about a quote from Crocodile Dundee. And, you know, I was going to use that quote. That's not a knife. He's there. Someone comes up to him, says have you got a light and he says yeah here's a light and the bloke pulls out his little switchblade and goes click and the switch blade opens up and he's got this little knife he says and your wallet and Mick Dundee goes that's not a knife and pulls out this great big hunting knife If you you were going to pay attention to the little switchblade and say, okay, I'll give you my wallet, I don't want to be stabbed, how much more are you going to pay attention to the big fishing knife? An argument from lesser to greater. People always paid attention to angels. Well, there's lots of things that are predicted by angels In the Old Testament, Lot is warned of the destruction that will come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is stopped from sacrificing his son Jacob. Moses standing before the burning bush, we read, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Gideon is given a message from God. And every time an angel comes and gives a message from God, this is a great occurrence. It's a spectacular occurrence. And people pay attention. How much more should we pay attention to Jesus And when we're trying to discover for ourselves the truths about God's salvation, we can look all over the internet, but that's like tying our boat to a log that's floating downstream. What we need to tie up to is a post that's firm and secure. If we want to find out about salvation, we need to look to Jesus. We pay attention when angels announce something. How much more should we pay attention to Jesus? Listen to him. We can all get caught up in the spirit of this age that says, I want to find out for myself. I'm going to do my own research. I did a ton of research. Jesus is the one who is the firm and immovable post. Now, we're a week before Christmas, or six days before Christmas. Angels, Christmas and Jesus. This is just a little, little sort of sidestep for a moment. Angels are so involved in the Christmas story, aren't they? I mean... We have the angel comes to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist, who was to be the forerunner for Jesus. Then the angel Gabriel comes to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. Then an angel comes to Joseph to ensure that he marries Mary because she's with baby without having done the required human things. An angel announces the birth of Jesus to shepherds and then is joined by a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And, you know, we, we love the angel part of the Christmas story, don't we? It's in lots and lots of Christmas carols. Angels we have heard on high, angels from the realms of glory, hark the herald angels sing, the first Noel the angel did say... While shepherds washed their socks by oh no sorry watched their flocks by night all seated on the ground the angel of the lord came down and glory shone around o come let us adore him come and behold him born the king of angels now there's the rub isn't it all of these carols about angels but jesus is born the king of the angels how much more should we pay attention when the when Jesus <laughs> is telling us things what does Jesus tell us about what he's come for well let me just step back a moment the the word angel means messenger Jesus is not just a messenger from god All of this passage here, where we get all of these seven different scriptures, is to help us understand that Jesus is God himself. Where angels are the messenger, Jesus is the message. And in fact, his name means Savior or God's salvation. Jesus is God's salvation. And he himself said... Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And again, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's great to celebrate Christmas, to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we remember that it's not just his birth that matters. Yes, God came into the world but he came into the world to save sinners. That's our little side excursion into Christmas. So, thinking about drift. What are some of the things that might cause us to drift from this great salvation? Perhaps you ask the question... Is it worth it? Or, I want what I want. I've always gone swimming at the beach. I grew up, my parents would take me to the beach quite regularly. We used to holiday in January for about three or four weeks. Um, My mother had a friend who lived in Cronulla, but this lady would go home to the country at Christmas, New Year, And so we would stay in her unit at Cronulla, which was great. And we'd go and swim. And so I was what you might call uh, a strong swimmer in the sense that I could swim well without swimming fast. So I was never good at carnivals, but I could swim quite well. And so I had a tendency uh, to go out and seek the deeper water. And it was what you want to do, you know? Oh, the big waves, they're they're always out the back, aren't they? I don't know if you're like that or not, but that just was my tendency. And I would find myself sometimes out there with guys on surfboards, and I'm just swimming. (laughs) And sometimes you'd catch some really great waves that way. But put you in a place... Of danger because you're pursuing something that you want. And we can drift away from the gospel when we come to that point where we say, oh, I really want to do that thing that's wrong. I really want to pursue that sinful action because it is pleasurable. There's a great danger for us that we might pursue something because we want it. And we might think about the gospel, is it worth it? Is it worth hanging on to that? Because I really want that other thing that I know is wrong, but I'm going to go for it anyway. We put ourselves in great danger when we do that. In chapter 2, verse 2, we read, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The passage that immediately came to mind for me when I read this was the passage in Genesis where the two angels go to Lot's family to warn him that Sodom and Gomorrah is about to be destroyed. The judgment, God's judgment for an unrighteous people was about to come down. And the warning is given to Lot and his family that if they want to escape, that they need to leave. The message of the angels, the message of the Old Testament, the message that God spoke in many ways through many people and through angels is that there is a just retribution for every transgression or disobedience this is our problem as people that we want to go after something that we know is wrong but the problem is that there is a just retribution for that sin has consequences How shall we escape if we neglect the great salvation that is offered to us in Jesus? If we intentionally let go of the post that keeps our boat safely tethered and we start swimming towards the wrong thing, we're placing ourselves in great danger. How will we escape? How will we be saved if we let go of our Savior? Is it worth it? You might ask. I just want what I want. That's a very... Strong warning here. It's 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 a rhetoric question. <laughs> How shall we escape? The answer is we won't. If we neglect the salvation that God gives us, if we let go of the post and strike out on our own, we won't escape the punishment. Alright, so I like swimming out to where the waves are. And about three years ago, we were down the south coast having a holiday and we went swimming and thinking that i was still a young man i went out to where the waves were but it was a bit it was a bit rough and there was a bit of an undertow and i could see where catherine was sitting on the beach i could see where the flags were but i was gradually drifting further away from those and I started trying to swim to get back to where it was safer and I was struggling not such a young man carrying a lot more weight and I was starting to get into real trouble i go under, try and swim, and I was getting exhausted. And I'd come up for a breath and struggling to, to get enough breath in. A very dangerous situation. Fortunately, a guy came and helped me out of it but I was getting overwhelmed by the waves. And it might be that there's stuff going on in your life that's making you feel overwhelmed by the waves. You, you want to follow Jesus, but there's all of this other peripheral stuff. It might be that you're having difficulty in a relationship Perhaps someone in your family has passed away. Maybe you're struggling because you don't have work because of COVID. Perhaps you have a mental illness and you you struggle with depression or bipolar. And it just feels like the waves are crashing over you. And you're feeling overwhelmed, and you wonder, how can I ever get back to where I need to be? I can see my reference point on the shoreline, my Savior Jesus, but I feel like I'm just going under. How can I hold fast to Him? In the quote, in chapter 1, verse 10, we read, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. When you're feeling overwhelmed by the waves, remember Jesus is eternal. He is always the same. If you're struggling mentally, he will be the same. He will always love you. He always has his hand there to pull you out of the waves, to help you get back to the shore. Reach out to him. Pay careful attention to what the scriptures say about Jesus so that you will not drift. When I was about 10, my brother and I got caught in a rip. I, I don't really remember it as a scary occurrence. I'm sure my mother was petrified, mortified. She would have been... Mum was a bit of a worrywart. But, but it was obviously a pretty bad situation. Looking back at it with adult eyes, I can see that it was. So my brother and I got caught in this rip and it was quite a strong current and it took us right out. So you got the the sort of the beach here and if I was my mum looking out, we we got taken right around the side and right out the back. As an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old, I don't know how strong I was as a swimmer back then. I don't know where it was going to take me. Fortunately, I had my older brother with me. He's four years older than me. I think maybe he kept me calm. And someone came out with a surfboard and put both of us on the surfboard. I don't know if it was a surf lifesaver or whether it was just a surfer. But he came out and put us both on that surfboard and we got back to shore. If you're wondering whether you should come swimming with me, maybe... (laughs) The Dangerous Rip. I don't know about you, but this week when I heard the news of that tragedy in Tasmania, my heart really went out. It just seems so wrong, doesn't it, when children die. You can say it was an act of God because of the great wind that came that blew the jumping castle into the air, but there is the dangerous rip that can really cause problems for us in our spiritual walk. It might not be children dying in a jumping castle accident. It might be a little girl sitting under a tree at Cat Eye Public School and a branch falls off. And I've heard a number of people in this congregation who have told me about that I had heard it on the news at the time but people in this congregation knew people that were involved and when things like this happen they can claw at our Christian faith and Satan can try and use those to make us give up We just had enough of trying to battle against the flow, against the current. We just say, I've had enough. I'm leaving. I don't want anything to do with Christian faith again. And into the midst of that, we read these words in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. When tragedy happens and our faith is challenged, we need to hold on to Jesus who is upright and righteous and trust in the goodness of God that in the midst of terrible and tragic circumstances that he is trustworthy that he is good that he will never let us go, even when we may feel like letting go ourselves. Trust in Jesus, the one who came to save us from our sins. whether it's the slow drifting away, the active going against Jesus to pursue what we want, whether it's getting caught in a dangerous rip, the writer of the passage wants us to pay careful attention so that we don't drift away from this great salvation that we have in him. Let's hold on to God's great gift. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things that can take us away from you. We pray that we might encourage one another, that we might walk alongside one another, to be people who do pay careful attention to all that is written in your word about Jesus, our Saviour. Help us to listen to him and not to the myriad other voices. Help us to trust in your goodness, Lord God. And for anyone that is struggling, that feels like letting go, we pray that we might be able to hold their hands and keep them connected to the Saviour. We pray it in His name. Amen.